Let us pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you, Father, for um, your goodness and your kindness to us, even in tangible ways uh, as we receive everything from you uh, to use it to your glory. And so tonight we pray, Father, that uh, you uh, bless the giving of your people uh, and that you uh, continue to prosper uh, the advance of the gospel in our midst. And so we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Let us uh, uh, stand together once more to uh, sing from the Psalter. We're going to sing uh, Psalm 106, uh, Selection A. All praise the Lord. All thank the Lord. We come now to a time of prayer, thanksgiving, and supplication. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who sacrificed his life, that we might have life, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the many manifestations you've given to us, Lord, of your goodness and your graciousness unto us. Lord, we also do thank you for the personal application of the gospel to each of our lives, Lord. And Lord, we pray that we might uh, strive to let that grow each day more and more. Lord, we pray, we pray that we might, Lord, praise your name every day, and every day we might extol it, Lord, that we might give you the proper glory uh, that you deserve. Lord, we pray that we might be gentle, Lord, that we might show uh, your great attribute of mercy and kindness, Lord, that we might show that in our lives, Lord, in, in all of our different circumstances and situations. Lord, we pray that we might strive to seek to bind up every wound of every uh, transgression in our lives, Lord, uh, day to day. Lord, we do pray as we come this evening that we might proclaim your glory both morning and evening. And Lord, we're thankful for our church being faithful 
to have this morning and evening service, Lord. Lord, we also pray that you, we also give you thanks, Lord, that you comfort us in tribulation, Lord. And we pray that as we would come upon things, Lord, that you might uh, have us make sure that we rely upon that and remember that, Lord. Lord, we pray that the gospel might become active in places where it is not, Lord, that your gospel might reach out all to the poor corners of the earth, Lord. Lord, we pray for those that might be coming under conviction of sin, that, Lord, that, might, that message might grow more and more. Lord, we pray that you might create in us, in our heart, a clean spirit, Lord. Lord, we pray that you might not cast your presence away from us, Lord, but you might stay close to us, Lord. Lord, that we might seek to have that closeness to be a real thing that we experience throughout the day, throughout the week. We pray that we might not be, as was presented to us this morning, Lord, just uh, coming to worship, Lord, on the Sabbath day, Lord, and that being our only time that we relate to you, Lord, but we might keep you before us uh, day in and day out, Lord. We pray we might be faithful in our uh, daily prayer and devotion, devotions, Lord, that we might be studying the scriptures uh, on a daily basis, Lord. Lord, as was given in the preface to the Ten Commandments this morning, Lord, we pray that we might strive to love you with all our heart and soul, Lord, that that might be uh, the primary goal in our life, is to, to love you in a consistent manner, Lord, and let that be shown to all around us. Lord, we thank you for uh, our pastors, Lord. We thank you for their work. Lord, we again pray that Pastor Vega might be refreshed in his uh, time away from his uh, spe uh, specific pastoral duties. Lord, we do thank you for the Lord's Supper, Lord. Lord, we thank you that it's effectual means of grace, Lord, not by any work of ours, Lord, but by the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that those who believe unto Christ, Lord, would, would see this, would have this as a means of grace. Lord, we do thank you for the institution of the Lord's Supper, Lord, which is a remembrance that the Lord left with us, Lord, that he would be with us always, Lord. So as we have the the sacrament this evening, Lord, that we might uh, have that reality of the presence of Christ with us. So at this time, Lord, we're again thankful for the opportunity to come and worship. Lord, we uh, pray that we might remove from our, our minds distractions, Lord, that we might, as was presented to us this morning, Lord, that we might have joy and rejoice in our worship, Lord, uh, before you this evening, Lord. So, Lord, we do bring all these prayers to you in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if you would please stand and would sing our hymn of preparation, Psalter Selection 119N, your words a lamp on page 10 in your bulletin or in the Psalter.
please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Dear congregation, if you have your Bible, so I invite you to turn with me to uh, the first letter of John. Not the Gospel of John, but the first epistle of John. And if you're using a pew Bible, uh, you can turn to uh, uh, page 1021. 1021. And if you're using your bulletin, it will be uh, right um, on page. Uh, I guess it's not there. Page four. Thank you. I guess if you want to follow the more complete reading, uh, you can use one of the Pew Bibles in page 1021. This is the word of our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, inspired. Uh, by his spirit coming down to us through the ages, let us uh, hear his word. First John chapter 1, I'll read for you verses 1 uh, through 5. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was uh, manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the etern that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and may he also bless those who are by hearing believe. Let us pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. We pray, O oh Lord, that uh, your word, which is uh, living and active, may also uh, have uh, uh, may accomplish the purpose for which you have uh, brought that word to us uh, through uh, your inspiration and revelation um, through the prophets and through the apostles to us. We pray, Lord, that your spirit uh, be working in us, in our hearts and our minds, leading us uh, to a greater knowledge and love for Christ Jesus. And so we pray all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God is a book of contrasts. The Word of God, from beginning to end, gives to us contrasts, gives to us distinctions, uh, expresses uh, the there are two seeds, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, that there are two ways, the way of light, the way of darkness, the way of righteousness, the way of unrighteousness. There's evil and good. There's uh, right and wrong. There's good fruit and bad fruit. There's also sheep and goats. And John speaks here in, in our text tonight, and specifically in verse 5, uh, in 1 John 1, 5 of uh, this contrast uh, that exists that uh, we need to understand, we need to uh, comprehend 
what the contrast that we find in the scriptures is all about. What is, what is the ground for this uh, uh, contrast, where uh, this contrast comes? And uh, we see that this comes from the nature and character of God himself. And John writes to his children in the faith, as he tells us, and he's glad that they're walking in the truth, because the word is truth. And so he's writing to his children to protect him, to give them guidance on how they may avoid walking in the way that is not, that is in contrast with God's own character. And so he's, uh, from the prologue, we uh, have seen that the Lord has been describing through John that he has been a witness to the truth, a witness to the word of life, a witness to what he has seen regarding the word incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. And how we must walk now if we claim that we have fellowship with God. And so the Lord is interested, as we see in, in this short letter, the, the Lord is interested. He's more interested in our sanctification than we are in our own. And so he has given to us directions. And, and we notice here tonight that the Lord has revealed this message, the message of salvation in his inspired word, that we may know him and be like him by the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that indwells us. And so tonight we'll consider three things, uh, three uh, ideas from verse 5 that uh, follow that uh, prologue, that introduction to uh, this short letter. And first we'll consider that the message of salvation always begins with God's word, which is the divine source of revelation. Notice here the message of salvation always begins with the word of God which is the source of divine revelation. This is the message, he tells us in verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So the, the Apostle John points our minds uh, to the starting point of all things. Where do we start here? And the Apostle John leads us to the inspired revelation of God. If you notice here, this is the message as he has told us in the first four verses, this is a message that has come to us down from Jesus Christ himself, from the word made flesh. And he, tri and he, drives, he drives our attention to the source of authority. This is the source of authority that we all have, which is the scriptures. It is interesting that he begins here because the, in our day, the vast majority of Christians try to address and begin with our feelings, with our emotions, with our um, circumstances, or uh, with our felt needs. But notice that John here leads us to the message. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him. Because John knows, the Apostle John knows, that is, it will be irrelevant, insignificant, what he has to say, out of his own opinion, or anybody has to say out of his own opinion about God, even if that person means well. That's why John doesn't tell us, I have been meditating about God and about high thoughts about God, uh, or I have been trying to find uh, some kind of idea in my heart about God, and I'm sharing these thoughts to you. No, the, the Apostle John begins with the Word of God. 
Because he knows that the natural man has a corrupt understanding of God. Because our minds in our natural condition are darkened apart from the knowledge of God revealed to us in his word. And also as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is communicating to us what he has received directly from our Savior. And so we are called to imitate this pattern. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we must do the same since we rest in the foundation that has been laid for us of the apostles and prophets where Jesus Christ is the key cornerstone. That's why we don't preach uh, uh, from any book. We could open here the uh, Pilgrim's Progress, which is a great work of theology and uh, uh, a good uh, story um, based on Scripture, but it's not the source of authority. We don't preach from Calvin's Institute, even though it's a, it's a great uh, work of uh, doctrine, but it's also based on the ultimate source of authority. That's why we must go to the authoritative testimony given to us by Jesus, uh, to the apostles and to the prophets that has been handed down to us. This is the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And this is why he tells us here in, in verse 3, if you notice, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. So the Apostle John and all the apostles, like even the Apostle Paul sounds here in the same way as John. That which I receive, I deliver to you, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. And John says something similar here, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. You see, the apostle is acting as a, as a herald here, as a, as a messenger, repeating what he heard from Christ himself, what he received from the Lord. So he is not the source of authority, but is a messenger of what Christ has given uh, to him uh, for the churches. And so this is the apostolic witness and the, the authority that we have to stand here behind this pulpit and to say to you, and to everybody, thus saith the Lord. There is no other way to preach and to communicate any truth except in the authority of Christ. And this is very helpful to us uh, because uh, how many times we have heard uh, people in our days saying that when they share the gospel, where do they begin? They begin with their own testimony, right? With the, the story of their salvation. They want to share with people what God has done. And sometimes they're very well, uh, uh, they have good intentions as they do that. Because ultimately their thinking, their, their, their testimony, their story is going to have the power to convince people of their sin and to lead them to faith in Christ. But nothing can be farther from the truth than that, dear loved ones. That's why the Apostle John in the scriptures, by inspiration of God himself, reminds us that we must begin with scripture and not with any kind of fallen ideas. But notice secondly here, that the, and this may seem so obvious because of what we just said in the first point, but notice that also that John tells us here, secondly, that the message of salvation always begins with God and not with man. Notice in, notice in verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. You see, all things in the scriptures, from beginning to end, all things like creation, 
salvation, life everlasting, uh, regeneration, uh, truth uh, about worship, about uh, God himself. Everything begins with God, begins with his own revelation. Everything begins with the word of God. It is the only way to know him and to know what his will is for our lives. This is the message from God about God. This is what the word of God is. It's the message from God and it is about God himself. And if you notice, the Bible is not a collection of stories of men searching for God, trying to reach out up to God, trying to find God. Because no man has been ever interested in the natural condition, in the natural state, in his sinful nature. Has never been interested in looking for God and to finding God and knowing God. You see, humanity from the beginning has been running away from God after the fall. And so the Bible also is not arguing. If you notice here what John is doing, he's presenting, he's declaring the message that God speaks. And the Bible is not uh, describing or trying to present some argument for the existence of God. But the Lord in his word, he's not trying to convince us that God exists. No, it begins with God speaking to us through his word. So the Bible declares to us, to humanity, his existence and what you and I must believe. And so this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And this is what the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ says in John 5.39. You remember this well-known verse. You search the scriptures. He tells uh, the, the Pharisees, you, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And what are the scriptures doing? And these are they which testify of me. And so John begins here with theology. If you notice what John is doing, he's beginning here with theology. And more specifically with theology proper, which is doctrine of God. He's describing what God is communicating about God himself. So the word of God is a book about God, first and foremost. And out of God, and his, his self-revelation is that we understand everything else in this life. And that's why you remember the, the first uh, great opening verse in the scriptures. In the beginning, God. Everything begins with God. And that is foundational for the Christian faith. For our walk and growth in Christ Jesus. It is important for us to understand that in the knowledge of God is that we understand everything else in the scriptures. The scripture gives to us this pattern because we must follow it. We must start with God. You see, if we change this pattern, if we change the order and put man first or anything else first, then we dishonor God. And we're not going to be able to understand God as he communicates himself in the word. If you notice, all the doctrines begin with God. If you understand the doctrine of God, 
obviously we will never be able to comprehend the God who is uh, too great for us to grasp with our finite minds. But all the doctrines, doctrine of sin, doctrine of man, doctrine of salvation, doctrine of the church, everything begins with God. Everything starts with understanding who God is. And sadly, this is so key for us to, to understand because in our day, the vast majority of Christians in churches and pulpits have turned the tables around and they have made man to be the starting point of faith. If you see the content of the preaching of many churches, sadly, around the world and in the United States and even in this city, they begin with a man-centered teaching which is sinful and idolatrous in the sight of God. And why do they do this? Well, first of all, because it's appealing to the flesh of man. But secondly, because this is the, the real effect, the real consequence of uh, what man has been trying to do from the beginning. From the, since the fall, man was, uh, has uh, been trying to dethrone God and to sit on his throne. And like the devil trying to claim something that doesn't belong to him. And also that's why the Lord even in, in, his, uh, in his law, he reminds us of this, uh, of this issue. Reminding us that it is a transgression to the law. Where the Lord tells us that he is God, that he is Savior. And that we should have no other gods before him, not even ourselves. So if you look around and you see the kind of preaching that the most people are hearing in our day, is centered on men. Many men have sadly have as the purpose of their ministry to meet people's felt needs. See, sadly, many pulpits in our day are uh, teaching people. Uh, things that are deal with uh, some kind of self-help items such as love. And it's all, if you notice, it's always the same topic. It is either love, finances, relationships, parenting. And many, uh, many of us uh, sadly grew up in those uh, contexts or were converted perhaps in those kinds of uh, uh, settings. But by the grace of God, you realize that you were starving. And by God's grace, uh, you were hungry for the knowledge of God. And the Lord provided a, a faithful church uh, like this one that is preaching uh, the word expositionally. And sadly, if, uh, uh, sometimes if you go to a, 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 your, your friend's house or even other Christians' house, houses, uh, you will find that on their shelves, or even if you visit the local bookstores, what, what you find in the shelves and people's houses and also in the, uh, in the local bookstores is uh, that they don't have really many books or any books in regards to God himself, about doctrine of God, about what God, uh, who God is and, and or his attributes. But what you see is uh, subjects that deal with the in the horizontal level with things that are man-centered, that uh, people want to uh, find quick fixes, answers, and directions to common questions or problems. 
And sadly, Christians don't know that the root of most of the problems that you find, problems of parenting, problems in marriage, problems uh, uh, in uh, addictions or lack of self-control, you name it, all these works of the flesh deal with and have the, the root in one thing, lack of the knowledge of God. And the problem is that when people... Sadly, even in our churches, when people think that they have enough knowledge of God and that they're ready to jump into something else, that really shows you that they have little understanding of who God is. That's why John tells us with, the, with a sense of urgency, I need to tell you what Christ has declared to us. This is what I received from the Lord, and this is what I'm communicating to you, that we must begin with God. And what is specifically that we must know about God? Notice thirdly here that the Apostle John drives also uh, our understanding to the message of salvation, that this message always begins with God's holy character. Notice at the end of verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 5 here at the end uh, shows to us that this, this is a twofold message. Notice here that this is a description of contrasts, light and darkness. And positively, God's character is described here as a God of light. He is light and negatively in him is no darkness at all. You see, negatively, here in this text, darkness uh, is described and normally carries the idea of evil, of ignorance, of wickedness, of sin, of spiritual blindness. You see, but God doesn't have not even one spot, one spot of darkness. And that's why John uses even the double negative here, saying, in darkness in him, not there is none. You see, this is bad English, right? But it's good doctrine. It's good theology. And it is emphatic. That's what John is communicating. He never changes. That's why he never deviates nor has any inclination of evil. And praise the Lord that the Lord never changes. That He is immutable. That He's always the same. Jesus Christ is the, always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And notice here, positively, John doesn't say God is like light. But notice what he says. He tells us God is light, which means that he's completely and absolutely set apart. He's pure. He's different than his creation and than his creatures. He is holy. And so this is a moral statement. This is a moral uh, description concerning God. Because uh, he's morally perfect without flaws or any kind of defilement. So everything about God and everything that he does and says is pure and holy. His speech, his words, his purposes, his will, his actions are perfectly, perfectly pure and holy. That's why Moses in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 15, 11, he, he, he declares, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And this is a, a rhetorical question, because the answer is none. There's none like the Lord. He's unique. 
And why does this matter to us? Because if we claim to have the joy of of the Lord's salvation, if we claim to have fellowship with him, we need to have a proper biblical view of who God is. And notice here also the pattern of the gospel. The gospel begins with God, and what about God? It doesn't begin with God's love. It begins with God's holiness, with His purity. Because His holiness produces in us a sense of reverence and awe. And also His holiness also provides for us a right perspective, a right view of who we are. It reminds us that God is all-knowing, that God is holy, and because He is all-knowing and also holy, He knows all of our sins, all of our secret thoughts, our plans, the sinful inclinations of our hearts. And there's nothing hidden from a holy, perfect God. And this is a terrifying thing to think about, isn't it? The Lord knows everything about us. And this is why the gospel doesn't begin with us, but begins with God. Because He is holy and we are not. He delights in holiness because in Him is no darkness at all. And so John begins with God's holiness because if He doesn't do this, then our understanding about any, anything and everything else about God will be wrong. So remember that we have the tendency to excuse ourselves and to excuse our sin. And if it was up to us, we would rather have a God who is all love, who is all mercy, who is all grace, right? A God who doesn't deal with our sin, but who hides our sin under the rug and uh, ignores it. That would be the kind of God that people would like to have. But that is not the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture knows who we are, and He describes who we are, and deals seriously with our sins. Because He knows that our hearts are sinful and desperately wicked. And because of our sin, we know that His holiness is a serious matter for us. And notice some things that we can consider regarding His holiness. First, The fact that it exposes our condition. This is what light does. Light exposes our condition. It exposes all the deeds of darkness and the deeds done in darkness. I remember we had in our home in Indiana, they had a crawl space. Uh, Here in Texas, I I guess there are no basements, no crawl spaces, so I haven't seen anything like that. But in Indiana, we had a crawl space, and I used to uh, crawl there. Uh, just to put some boxes, but I used to get out because I, 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 it was kind of creepy to be down there. So, uh, um, But when we were ready to sell the house, I remember I went down there just to check the foundations, just to see how they were doing. And in one of the corners, I never uh, saw uh, all the time that we were there. We were there for like six years. And uh, I never saw mold growing in, in one of the corners until I went there with a flashlight. And the flashlight exposed all that mold that is really bad for people's health. But in darkness, that was hiding there with the rest of the things that were in, in the crawl space. And so you, only, you can only see 
what is in the darkness when that thing is exposed by the light. But notice also that God's absolute holiness cannot be uh, used to um, or cannot minimize or downplay the consequences of our sin. See, um, uh, we will love that. But because God is holy and He doesn't change, He must deal with our sin. And because of this, also, the connection to this thought is that the gospel is needed because of God's holiness. If God wasn't holy, if His attributes, if His character wasn't that He is a holy God, then we wouldn't need Christ. We wouldn't need the gospel. We wouldn't need a crucified Savior, a Savior who dies in the place of sinners. But because God is holy, He needs to deal with our sins. And so also because He is holy, we must approach Him according to His terms, dealing with our sins according to the penalty that our sins require according to the law. And as the Lord tells us, the, the soul that sins shall die. That's why we need the holy and righteous, as he is described in the book of Acts, chapter 3, 314. The God man Christ Jesus coming down to do what we cannot do for ourselves, dying in the place of sinners and being raised again for our justification. And fourthly, because God is holy, this also it's having an effect in our lives as we must live before His presence. Because He is holy, we must be holy. And so that's why the Lord has given to us the provision of the Holy Spirit. If you notice here, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of holiness that lives in us, that indwells us, and that brings conviction of sin. Notice what uh, John tells us in John 16. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so we are transformed by the Spirit and the Word to a true and, and biblical understanding of the Lord and uh, uh, being transformed into the likeness of his uh, Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice here, in, uh, the, the Apostle Paul tells us that this is the work of sanctification. We are being renewed by the Holy Spirit. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Because the Lord is a consuming fire. And so the Spirit helps us to walk with full purpose of and never after the new obedience. And so because God is holy and all this uh, different aspects that we have seen is that also that our claims of fellowship with God, which we will see maybe later if the Lord permits, um, but all the, fel all the claims that we may have that we have fellowship with God, that we are in Christ, that we are Christians, how can we test our lives and in, in our walk with Christ? We must test them comparing ourselves to the holiness of God. Because not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says, I have communion with God or I have fellowship with God is a true child of God. And so if we're going to have fellowship with him, that fellowship is going to be uh, according to his terms. 
not just in any way we want or any way we think. But fellowship, as the Apostle John tells us, happens as we walk in the light, as the Lord is light. So do you have assurance of fellowship with God? Are you walking in the way that He, the, he walks in light? I love uh, question and answer, answer 87 of the Shorter Catechism. It is a good place to, to test your, your own sanctification and your own salvation. What is repentance unto life? We should examine our lives. And repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, death with grief and hatred of his sin. You see, this is the darkness. Turn from it unto God, who is the light, with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. So this is the description of a Christian. To walk in this new obedience, in the likeness of the light of God. And thank the Lord Jesus Christ that we have Him. The one who knew no sin, who became sin for us, so that in Him, believing sinners may be now the righteousness of God in him. Let us pray together. Dear Lord, thank you, Father, for your word. Please bless us now, even as we come uh, to your table. Uh, help us, Father, to uh, also enjoy uh, another aspect of uh, the fellowship that you have provided for us in the signs and seals that uh, come from um, the table of the Lord. And so bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the blessing now of uh, coming to the Lord's table. The Lord helps us and blesses us to experience uh, the gospel in a tangible way. That's why uh, the signs that we have here, they are sensible signs, as uh, our, our standards describe. They are sensible signs because they appeal not only to our ears and to our mind, but also to our senses, to uh, our mouth and to our taste, to, to our feelings. As we uh, approach the table, um, we are reminded of the Christ that was sent into this world to save sinners. And the Lord gives to us this as we are in fellowship with him. Let us uh, listen to the words of the word of institution of the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord tells us, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance, of, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat 
this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we will not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So out of the blessing of the Lord and His grace and His kindness, He gives to us a warning. This table is for believers. It is for Christians, for anyone who claims to have fellowship with Christ because of his work, what he has done, not putting any kind of trust in the flesh, but in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone and in his finished work. And so as we come to the table, we come uh, with the confidence that we are received to this table. This is the Lord's table. This is not Covenant PCA's table. This is not a Presbyterian table, but it's the table of the Lord Jesus Christ that is open for all those who are his children. And so let us uh, pray together. Dear Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness to us in Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord, and we give you thanks for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that you are a God who is light. And in the same way, O Lord, we pray that you forgive us for our many sins and that you Cleanse us and that you help us, Lord, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. In a manner that is worthy of the call to which you have called us to. And so we pray, Father, that you bless us as we uh, partake of your table. And as we uh, take the bread and also the cup. Bless us uh, for the sake of your own name. So we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So now the uh, elders are going to distribute the elements and uh, at the end we will uh, partake together.
of Christ, broken for you. The body of Christ, broken for you. The body of Christ, broken for you. The body of Christ, broken for you. The Lord tells us that in the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it. After giving thanks, he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you, for his people. Take and eat. Now distribute the, the cup. That reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 